If you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie show where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. In the spirit of staying relevant to our times and leveraging my gift as a historian, today's show is a remix of a panel comparing and contrasting the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense of the late 1960s and 1970s with the Black Lives Matter movement of today. I teamed up with David D. Price, who serves as a youth pastor at First Amy Church of Los Angeles. At the time, Price had been completing a Master's of Divinity at the Harvard Divinity School. The Roe New Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated hosted the event, which was held at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. What's new is the inclusion of excerpts from my favorite comedian slash activist, Dick Gregory, 1932 to 2017. I had the opportunity to interview him for my first book, Hog and Hominy, in the early 2000s. Gregory participated in the Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, and the Black Lives Matter Movement of today. Be sure to check out our show notes for today's episode to learn more about David Price, books mentioned on the show, and topics such as COINTELPRO and more. So what you're about to hear is a panel discussion hosted by the Roe New Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated at MIT. Ronu encompasses the campuses of Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Harvard University, Tufts University, and includes students from Babson College. The panel consists of me, Frederick Douglas Opie, a professor of history and foodways at Babson College, and my colleague David Price, who is a Harvard Divinity School student. During the panel discussion, we contrast the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense of the late 1960s with the Black Lives Matter movement of today. Particularly interesting is the contrast between the left of center Black Panther Party and its appropriation of the Second Amendment right, which calls for citizens to have the right to bear arms as a strategy to end police brutality in Oakland, California, where the party started and quickly spread across the country to places such as Chicago, New York, and Boston. My interest in the Black Panther Party started with learning about its free breakfast program and later how it used a grocery giveaway to register voters. Today, it is conservatives who fight for limited restriction on gun ownership and liberals and progressives who seek tighter restrictions on them. And look at the Black Panther Party's armed patrolling of their neighborhoods to end police brutality in the 1960s is interesting when compared to white conservatives in the states of Nevada and Oregon, who in 2015 and 2016 occupied with guns the Bureau of Land Management property, declaring their cattle had the right to graze there for free. The Panthers can best be described as a movement influenced by Marcus Garvey and the UNIA and its cultural organizational structure, and with Patrice Lumumba and Che Guevara's political leanings. So it's an interesting talk, and I hope you enjoy the panel. So I've been collecting sources on the Black Panther Party for about the last three years. Uh, but my work focused on food and the Panthers, and I knew a little bit about 
the free breakfast program that you all talked about, but if you also look at number 10, uh, the 10-point plan, it speaks directly to that. We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. So that was, that was one of their programs. So I went out and I started doing research, and there's a lot of newspaper sources on the Panthers, and then I went to Stanford University, which has the UP Newton collection. Went through the entire collection, photocopied everything related to the Panthers, and you would be amazed at how much uh, number 10 is available in sources uh, that the Panthers wanted to do. I decided I was going to do a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. You can catch a lot of people's attention and trick them into reading your book, and then they learn a lot of information in the process. Number one, it's the Black Panther Party for self-defense. So the context of the Black Panther Party is police brutality, which is directly related to Black Lives Matter. What was happening in the city of Oakland is you had a predominantly African-American community policed by a predominantly white police force. And they were just doing whatever they wanted when they would stop people. And people were regularly getting beat up, young people, young black people. U.B. Newton at the time was going to law school, so he knew the U.S. Constitution. And the Constitution says the right to bear arms. And if you don't realize that, there's some folks out in Oregon mm -hmm. right now that are, have guns out and are daring the FBI and any part of the government to, on federal land because they were using it for pasture land. The government wanted to shut down the pasture land, and they said, over my dead body and my gun. And U.P. Newton was in law school, so he started talking about this stuff as a way of dealing with police brutality. So when any time something was going on, they would show up with their guns, <laughs> and 10 yards away, they'd watch the interaction. Police start acting right after that. Police start getting really nervous. But it's perfectly legal. There's nothing violent about carrying a gun. It's part of your constitutional rights. Now, Black Lives Matter, in that particular point of policing the police, right. what do you see as an overlap? When we talk about policing, and uh, ending uh, institutional racism that is embedded in policing practices that the police are taught in a number of different ways, both formally and informally when they're being trained. Then you go to the body politic. I, I don't know if you all read uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me, but he writes this letter to his young son about what it means to be black growing up in Baltimore. And he basically tells them, tells his son, you are not really in control of your body police are. And so one of the things that both the Black Panther Party and the Black Lives Matter movement attempts to do is to reclaim the black body and, and give it back to the people who it belongs to. And so when you talk about policing the police, that's literally what we're trying to do is reclaim our own bodies to say that you cannot destroy this, particularly without my permission or me doing something that's against the law. And so I think of the police uh, body cameras as one way of the police policing for themselves and allowing the community to police the police as well. Secondly, police review boards, community police yep. review boards. If you look at Newark, New Jersey, they have just passed an ordinance where community members will sit on police review boards for uh, any police misconduct, any police killings. Um, and so literally community members will be reprimanding in, in, in some instances police officers who uh, break citizens' constitutional <coughs> rights. That's one way the Black Lives Matter movement is, is pushing uh, this idea of the community policing the peace officers. The Black Panther Party originated out of a Black Panther movement in Lowndes County, Alabama. 
There's a book by a friend of mine named Hassan Jeffries. It's called uh, uh, something like Lowndes County, Alabama. The symbol for the self-determination group that was in Lowndes County, Alabama was the Panther. And that's where the Black Panther got that symbol from, from the self-determination group, where this is one of the few places in the Deep South that if the Klan came in and tried to do something, they had an organization of black men, many of them leaders in their church, deacons and things like that in their church, who were armed. And at any time somebody would try to come in, like the Klan, to try to, you know, to push the people out, try to take the best land, run some out of town. A lot, and a lot of the conflicts that happened in the South in which a person was killed, right. well, if you tried to mess with those people, those black men would come out with, and they would run you out of town. So that's where the, the, this whole principle started with the, the Black Panthers. In contrast to the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Panthers were calling for a radical change in American society. They weren't calling for reform. UEP Newton and the leadership of the Panthers were, were calling for a socialist change in the government where the means of production would be owned by the people, particularly black people, because there were too many communities in which people who owned those businesses <coughs> were not from that community. They were making profits and then going back to their suburbs where they lived. Dr. King was not calling for things like that until late in his career when people began to condemn him. What do you think about that related to Black Lives Matter and what they're calling for? How radical, is it a reform movement or is it a radical movement? I would call it sort of a reform movement because unlike the Black Panther Party, there isn't this agreed upon framework or set of points that the Black Lives Matter movement is pushing for. Although we, we seek to deconstruct racism, institutional racism, there is no particular set of ways that the, the movement seeks to do that. And I think that one of the reasons is it's leadership. It's all decentralized. There isn't a hierarchy within the movement. Yes, there are chapters, and even within those chapters, there aren't really presidents or, or leaders or, or heads of those chapters. Whereas for the, the Black Panther Party, there was certainly a hierarchy. But one thing I, I do want to speak about that is the role of women in both parties. I think it's extremely interesting when you, when you look at the, uh, both, both the movement and the uh, Black Panther Party, women played a significant role. Now in the Black Lives Matter movement, queer women are playing an even greater role and are out about who they are and what they are. Something that's different is the Panther Party had women, but the party definitely suffered from chauvinism. Women were the lifeblood of the party, but not in the leadership position. Very few women. Black Lives Matter, I think, is much more progressive in how it looks at women and the role that women have in that movement. The show will be right back. For related content, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can purchase a copy of my autobiography slash career advice, Start With Your Gift, on Amazon.com. We are the sum total of the people we spend time with and the books we read. Be a difference maker right now. Purchase two or more paperback copies of Start With Your Gift. Give them away and make a positive impact on someone's life. The book is available in digital form as an ebook and audiobook. My wife, Dr. Tina Opie, worked as a management consultant before earning her PhD at NYU's Stern School of Business and becoming a tenured faculty member at Babson College. She has worked with the NFL, UBS, 
American Express, and Hulu to help their organizations do the hard work of becoming more inclusive. Tina Opie's consulting group can help your organization develop a strategy for elevating women and people from different racial ethnic backgrounds to leadership positions. Tina's work on inclusion, appearance policies, authenticity, and or shared sisterhood will make a positive difference in your organization. Contact Tina at Opie Consulting Group, LLC, at gmail.com. That's Opie Consulting Group, LLC, at gmail.com. Welcome back to this edition of the Fred Opie Show. The long-term legacy of both movements. The free breakfast program put so much pressure and shame on the U.S. government that the free breakfast program that is federally sponsored in public, public school systems today <laughs> came from the Black Panther Party. If you were wealthy enough to go to college, you'd be exempt from being in the Vietnam War. If you were poor and black, poor and white, poor and Hispanic or anything else, you were going to be fighting that war. So you had wealthy individuals, largely white males, making <laughs> decisions about black, brown, and whatever other colored bodies being on the front line. So even though African Americans made up 10% of the population, they were more than 50% of the troops on the front line taking the biggest hits and casualties. So that's why they were against the Vietnam War. I think in addition to, to sort of not wanting to be drafted is this idea that um, I'm not going to assist a government that oppresses me to then help them oppress another community. I think you hear that in, in some of uh, Muhammad Ali's comments about not getting drafted. They're talking about me about some draft and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get to Switzerland and Canada and London. I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now right here fighting you. If I'm going to die, you my enemy. My enemy is the white people, not Viet Congs or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. Muhammad Ali. And most certainly coming from the Black Panther Party. They just didn't want to represent a government who oppressed them and to help that same government use the same tools of oppression to then go ahead and oppress other communities of color in other parts of the world. One of the reasons why the Panthers are no longer in existence today is because our tax dollars systematically assassinate the leadership of the Panthers. It makes it very difficult to repress Black Lives Matter. It, there is no single leader. Versus the Panthers, the goal was to target specific leaders, take them out, or cause them all kinds of misinformation. And by the end, Huey P. Newton, he was schizophrenic. Most people think he might have been bipolar, and he just kind of went off the rail because of the FBI program of misinformation and to destroy the Panthers from within. What is your take on Angela Davis and her as kind of like a figurehead being associated with the Black Lives uh, Black Panther Party? You all remember when you would sit on your mom's lap and you would rest your head on your mom's breast and when you would talk you would hear this echo chamber? You remember that when you were little? I grew up on the lap of my mother at free Angela Davis meetings and rallies. She used to wear one of them leather vests like they did back in the 70s with all the buttons <laughs> on them and stuff. For a long time, I, I knew about Angela Davis, and she was in jail uh, during a large part 
of the Black Panther Party. So when she finally got out of jail, when she was in jail, just like when UEP Newton was in jail, she was a magnet for blacks to come together and support. She's another one who was a committed socialist, committed to the overthrow of a capitalist society. I think she's a very important part of the movement. I don't know if she was aware of just how much sexism was going on because the challenge is having a movement that's doing good things and then critiquing that movement. The goal of the movement wasn't to look like the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Sometimes I sit back and wonder if there was a centralized leadership, uh, what would it look like? Who would be, who would compose that leadership? And what would the points be and how would we come to that consensus? I think the goal of the movement is for everything to be very local. There's this, there's this saying that all politics are local, right? Everything that happens, happens at city council meetings, happens you know, at the state level. Very few things happen at a national, federal level that has their direct impact and effect on your life from day to day. I think there will be benefits if local chapters might have sort of some sort of um, agreed upon leadership, but I think it's, it's up to that chapter. I think it depends on what they believe is right and will be most effective for that community. I haven't joined a Black Lives Matter chapter. I know of people who have joined those chapters and they have concerns about whether or not the protest is enough, whether or not presenting 10 points as to what is needed in their community is necessary and then going and demanding that. Many chapters have done that. And I think that it, they have been successful in, in some ways. For example, like the community uh, police review, police body cameras, things of that nature. These have been sort of the demands that particular communities have uh, and chapters have asked for. And so they've gotten it. I don't necessarily think that there would be a huge benefit in having sort of this national one sort of leader like a Dr. King or a Malcolm X that would move the movement into a particular direction that's better than where it's going. In 1968, there are radical armed movements around the country within the white student population. In 1968, you have four students uh, killed in Ohio protesting against the Vietnam War. So it's not just the Panthers who are taking up arms. They're not blowing up buildings. You have a group called SDS, Students for Democratic Society. I mean, they're underground. The Weathermen is another underground armed group. Another thing you see that comes out of the Black Panther movement, Students for Democratic Society and those other movements, is this whole war on drugs and the rise of the prison industrial complex, which is something else that Angela Davis, as a, a former incarcerated political prisoner, was against. That period of coming up with these laws that will give you three strikes and you're out, laws that if you are convicted of a crime, that you will lose your right to the franchise, you're no longer able to vote or, or hold public office. All that stuff comes out of 1968. There's a book that you all should know by Michelle Alexander called The New Jim Crow. And it talks about what has happened with the growth of the prison industrial complex, the building of prisons and the <coughs> warehousing of particularly black and brown men. All that stuff comes out of that. And that is one of the most, if there is a platform, the Black Lives Matter movement, it's against police brutality and the 
ending of the of the prison industrial complex. Would you agree? Just I would disagree? definitely agree with that. And I think it sort of starts in our schools. I don't know if you all went to public school. When I was going to public school, police officers were always there. It seemed like a normal part of school life until I met some of my white counterparts at Georgetown who said they ain't seen a police officer at school ever. So what do you mean? Like, no, police officers are at school like all the time. We resource officers. Armed with guns. Armed with guns. Young black men and women's interaction with law enforcement starts <coughs> way early than any other group of people in America, really. And so it's a, it's a pipeline stemming from school going through from elementary school to middle school to high school and then ended up in our prison system. And, and Michelle Alexander talks about ways in which that has sort of increased um, the number of black men, particularly in our prison system. You, you talked about Tallahassee Coates' book. And by the way, it won the National Book Award. The last book to win a National Book Award written by an African-American was Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison in 1954, 1955. It's a small book, it would be worth it. Tallahassee's dad was a Black Panther. A lot of the stuff that he talks about, the knowledge of history among uh, African Americans and in, in, in our community in general, something that comes out of the Black Panther Party. And he is a product of the Black Panther Party. Yeah, so it, it makes a huge difference. Race people were any people who studied their, their, their history. Uh, Carter G. Woodson and people like that. You don't grow up in a home where those books are available to you. You're not going to get the contacts all this. So the, right. the Panther Party, you can learn about them through what other folks say, or you can read a lot of the memoirs of members of the Panther Party and learn it for yourself what they're all about. Shootouts happened, but it wasn't that the Panthers initiated the shootouts. It was scared police officers or black informants that were working undercover. These stories are not often told. What's told and what's glorified <coughs> are black men carrying guns. There's a guy, one of the most famous photographers of the civil rights movement. That guy was an informant. He was an informant. It's incredible. And he did it for money. Most slave rebellions that I've studied, including Denmark Vesey, South Carolina, most slave rebellions, uh, the other one, Nat Turner in Virginia, in, in Hampton, Virginia, were, by the way, Allen Ivers is from the same area. Those revolts were unsuccessful because, so it's a slave deciding, I need to keep this from happening. One of the most important slave revolts that happens during the, the book, not the movie, but the book, 12 Years a Slave, is this famous slave revolt that's being organized in Louisiana. The guy that turns coat is the guy that organizes the movement. I tell you to carry a gun for yep. folks like that. If you got scared, she's going to take you out. She said, well, you can either go or you can die right here. A lot of times that's what the problem is, is within our community, we don't have the strength or the conviction to see the thing out. Particularly for some of the, the more uh, well-known figures like D. Ray McKisson. Like the FBI is definitely following. And he knows it. He, he will openly say it. And the FBI has... They were following his, uh, his Twitter page and tapping into his phone to figure out where sort of the next protests were happening. Here's a clip from a Dick Gregory stand-up comedy routine circa 2014-2017. The one thing I did benefit from this government, tapping my phone, I never had to pay a bill. Someone said, how you know the government's tapping your phone? 
1963. I say, anytime a Negro can know Bell Telephone, $75,000, and they don't cut the phone off, it's tapped. <laughs> Dick Gregory. I mean, I would want some groups infiltrated. Just not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. And, and what is what's particularly fascinating about that as well is thinking about, thinking back to the Black uh, Panther Party and sort of their socialist framework that they work through. There's a lot of parallels. BLM doesn't really think about socialism uh, in the same way that the Black uh, Panther Party did. And I think that's, again, attributed to the decentralized leadership style. When we tell you that they were radical, when they went to exile, they didn't go to capitalist societies. They went to social societies. That is the context. Black Lives Matter is not calling for a revolutionary change in our economic system. Booker T. Washington was not calling for socialism. He was calling for a piece of the pie. He just wanted a black piece of the pie. Black Panthers, they wanted a whole new pie. They wanted a cake. That's a radical change and why they were so forcibly repressed by COINTELPRO. Dick Gregory speaking at UCLA in April of 1968. A lot of people don't understand the Black Panthers. Well, if you play poker at all, maybe you can understand the Black Panthers because all they're trying to say is when your ace in the hole cease being your ace in the hole, at that point you make deuces wild. And for all of you white folks that dig the Black Panthers and black folks that dig the Black Panthers, but you have trouble explaining them to your white friends, let me tell you how to explain the Black Panthers from here on in. Tell your folks to go home and turn on television and leave it on all week. And when Matt Dillon run across the screen that's teaching you it's a virtue to shoot straight, tell them that's a white panther. Then just paint his face black and you got a black panther. Can't understand it. Everybody... Everybody seems to be confused. Everybody seems to talk about, you know, Stokely Carmichael and Rap Brown and what's wrong with militant color. Just give us the United States Constitution. We'd be out of business. You know, if you're really concerned about the Stokely's and the Raps and the Black Panthers, implement the United States Constitution. And I guarantee you that once we get equal justice under the Constitution, all us black militant cats that stay out in the street talking, you can put us in the nut house. Because if we had full constitutional rights and nigga be on the corner talking about, we want equal rights in the morning, you can literally just say, well, he's crazy, let's get him. But if you think that you're going to put a damper on the Stokely's and the Raps before we get the United States Constitution, you crazy. This is the Fred Opie Show. We'll be right back. I live by the mantras, agents of positive change, focus their energy on learning. Learners are earners, and we are the sum total of the people we spend time with and the books we read. Purchase a great book, audiobook, or CD during our fantastic $10.99 or less limited time offer sale. We have slashed the price on my Zona Hurston biography and on Southern Food and Civil Rights, the history of the role of food and U.S. movements from the Great Depression to Occupy Wall Street. Cook and bake the related historic recipes in the pages of these riveting food history books. Read my sports autobiography and self-improvement book, Start With Your Gift, and my latest book, Super 7, and learn how to be more creative and productive. These and other great books, audiobooks, and CDs, all for $10.99 or less while supplies last. And here's some even better news. If you spend $30 or more, we're going to give you a free CD 
and ship your order for free. All orders will ship in 48 hours because we want you to get these resources as soon as possible. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and order now. Be a difference maker. Use your smartphone or computer and purchase two or more paperback copies. Give them away and make a positive impact on someone's life. Our scripture of the day is Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Responding to the question, which is the greatest commandment of them all, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Dick Gregory said, Love is very dangerous. If you just have love, and don't have the ability to be lovable. We're back. The Black Lives Matter movement is more narrowly focused on police brutality specifically. Validating black life, just being an American citizen and not being killed on the street. Whereas the Black Panther Party was a much more broad, it included... The problem is the system. Exactly. The system itself needed to be changed. And yes, the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement attempts to do that and speak against that. But the Black Panther Party offers a new way of doing that, that I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement just hasn't gotten to yet. This is a question I want to ask you all. What's the difference between a riot and a movement? When I hear riot, I think of uh, very unorganized uh, chaos, uh, aggression aimed in all types of directions without a set of motivations or a set of things to accomplish by taking those actions. It's just kind of uh, anarchy. When I hear a movement, I think of objectives, objectives, people on the street with a cause marching for something like there is some kind of leadership taking them wherever they're going and you know there's a bigger picture in mind whatever happens is supposed to advance the movement anybody else regarding a riot to me it's some sort of like rebellion the kind of the catalyst of that is that there must be some sort of oppression or some sort of disenfranchisement taking place that's why you riot it's out of it's out of anger basically in your mind a movement wouldn't have violence uh, not as much. U.S. going into Iraq. Is that a movement or is it a riot? I mean, I just want you all to think about these things. Sure. Another question I often ask to make it even more controversial. <laughs> do movements make leaders or do leaders make movements? Black Lives Matter. You don't really have a leader. But it's a movement. And some people describe it as riots. Now, we had Missouri and you had Baltimore. Was one a movement? Was one a riot? And do you take the interpretation of media that says it's a movement or a riot, or what do you do? Because you could read one paper and listen to one analysis and it's called a riot. Other ones say, oh, that's a movement. You don't think movements arise out of oppression? I think they do. I mean, it's, in a way, it's almost one and the same, but maybe the riot comes before the movement. And can a movement become a riot? And can a riot become a movement? It's like a movement can definitely become a riot. What about the reverse? 
And these are important questions. You could go into a situation like Baltimore as an organizer, like A. Philip Randolph, Bernard Rustin, Angela Davis, and you could take what just happened and create a movement. Just like an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur goes into a situation and creates markets. You create a market for your product. And I say this to you because you guys are young enough. There's a lot of things you can do. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there.